0: Welcome to Listener, a Crew podcast. I'm your host, Sam Holland. Today's episode features my friend Julie Chang. I actually spliced together two different conversations that we had. In the first conversation, we talked about crew.org's new racism resource and our own experiences with racism. In the second conversation, we talked about sabbatical, trees, and how God never lets go of us. Enjoy the show. Darren might start mowing the lawn again, but nope. I see him pushing the lawnmower into the backyard. Okay. You might hear my kids in the background because quarantine. Okay. They're, okay. they've been fighting off and on <laughs> out in the main part of the house. <laughs> something about unloading the dishwasher or sweeping something. Yeah, I can hear them right now. Just ignore that. Um, okay, Julie, um, okay. I was on crew Instagram the other day and saw that they had a post about racism. And uh, the post said, racism and prejudice go against the very heart of God. What thoughts or feelings come to mind when you think about these subjects? And then check out the link in our bio to learn more. Well, I didn't even know. I was like, link in bio, where does this go? So um, it went to crew.org. And there is a racism resource on crew.org. And um, so I know you and I have both looked through it. And I wondered what you thought about this resource because you and I have talked about this topic before.
1: Yeah, I think it's a really good resource, actually. Um, When I look through it, I appreciate the different buttons that you can click and what it says. And one thing I wonder about with the creators of the resource is I wonder if they're targeting people of color more or people who are more um, thinking about the concept of racism and cultural competency with, with this particular posting trying to reach more people of color and people who want to be involved in the conversation more. Because there are a lot of people who think and believe that racism doesn't exist, so this wouldn't apply to them, or they wouldn't really look at that, is my assumption.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I used to think racism didn't exist before we started talking about it at staff conferences and before my colleagues, like you and other colleagues, started telling me stories. Like, oh, this this actually does exist. I'm a Jesus follower just Mm -hmm. like you. I have no agenda other than to tell you my story and share some Mm -hmm. of the hard things with you. So, uh, what I noticed about this resource is that it invites invites you in wherever you are on your journey. So even in the Instagram post, it's a video of different faces and it says, what, do I, what, are, what thoughts or feelings come to mind when you think about racism? And some of the options are, I feel numb and excluded. I feel confused and unfamiliar. I feel angry and exhausted. I feel guilty and uncertain. I feel grieved and hopeless. And I liked that because we are all just at a different place in our journey where we've either experienced racism or we've not believed it was real and then found out it was and are somewhere in that journey of recognizing it and lamenting it. Mm -hmm. Um, But it is like every individual has a different experience. And what do you think about those different options?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, um, well, on a personal level, when I looked at the options, I thought, um, talking about racism, has become exhausting for me, I think on a certain level, but I think it probably applies differently for different people on reason why it's exhausting. You know, like as a person of color, I can't get out of the subject of it, especially right now, um, as an Asian American, it's hard to move out of that conversation when, when you know that a lot of things are going on around you that are assaults and things like that. Um, do to understand how really racism relates to the Bible. So that's a really great topic, especially for people who have you know, listened to Daniel Hill or read things about the concept of racism, or not just racism, but um, just the, the concept of, of thinking through where does it all come from, you know, and feeling shame when I think about racism. I think about a lot of my friends who I talked to who I just got on the phone with one person who I had to make sure she wasn't experiencing shame when I was telling her about my fear of being an Asian right now in our culture and, um, really, really close, actually my best friend. And, um, she wanted to double check and make sure like she was saying the right thing or she did the right thing. Cause she could tell that when I shared my feelings, that I, I didn't respond the way that she thought I would respond. And so wanting to do the right thing, like a lot of my uh, majority culture brothers and sisters and even myself in some areas and cases wanna say the right thing uh, or do the right thing when it comes to race. I'm confused about racism. I feel like a lot of people are confused about racism. So I think that, and the last one is I feel stuck. I don't know what to do about racism. (laughs) I feel like that is everybody. Uh, People feel stuck and a lot of people don't know what to do about it, especially on large scales. So. I think these buttons are great. And I actually looked through a couple of them, like journey through one of them. And um, just the concept of like moving forward in a journey of of thinking through it is helpful. Like even uh, the last one I just pressed to reconcile, uh, the, the one that had to do with feeling stuck and I don't know what to do. mm mm-hmm it started, it says, racism begins with lament. Like, I just really appreciate how it's like, you feel stuck, it's not that, because you have to do something about it. Just the concept of recognizing it and empathizing is a huge, huge point. And then in this, I see there's podcasts and books and resources. And um, so I feel like it's almost like your friend who comes, comes next to you, that's a virtual, who can like talk you through things that maybe you're not or people aren't wanting to discuss with other people with regards to racism
0: yeah that box at the bottom says need someone to talk to and you can click on connect with a mentor
1: Mm -hmm. it's
0: kind of interesting so uh you mentioned right now just during this um pandemic that um it has impacted you not just as a human but As an Asian-American. And I know, like last month before any of this, I don't even know if we had a case in the U.S. yet when this happened, but um, I was with some women and uh, some friends of mine. One of them is Asian-American, not Chinese. And she told us that she had been at the grocery store earlier that week and had a woman yell at her in the middle of the grocery store. And she said, the woman said, why are you here? Go home. And we were all just shocked. Could not believe that that happened and really angry. And um, she was saying like, it's fine, I'm fine. I'm not mad, but she was like, I'm scared, and I'm not gonna go shopping again without my husband. And um, it occurred to me, Julie, I think if I had been with her, or if I had seen this happening, I don't think I would have known what was happening. I I think I would have thought that, like, these women knew each other or, or something, like she was, I would not have realized that I would not have known that it was racism, if that makes sense. Like That's how out of my categories it is. And it probably wouldn't have been until afterwards that I, if I ever made the connection, if I would have thought, oh my gosh, it's because of the virus mm-hmm. that she said that to her.
1: Yeah, I can relate to that in a lot of ways <laughs> For your, with your friend. And I think I've heard a lot of stories. Um, well, first of all, I just want to say I'm sorry for your friend I don't know if she listens to this podcast but um, you know like doing the IDI I took the IDI test and working in this organization and then living in a predominantly white cultural majority cultured location and uh, growing up in a majority culture location I've I've learned the skill of minimization (laughs) and that's something the IDI says like that's what I mean that's really vulnerable of me to share but I minimize discrimination and things that are happening to me and people around me because of wanting to keep the peace or moving things forward or um, needing to assimilate and and things like that. And so actually it's one of my things where I'm trying to not and speak even more into and pressing in more into um, the things that I'm seeing and noticing and not minimizing. So yeah, I, I, have heard a lot of stories And I think even, especially for our Asian Asian American culture, it is part of our culture to minimize things like this Um, or to even take blame and eat our own bitterness and eat our own, uh, eat it instead of um, making a scene or making it a thing or saying that this is an issue. Um, It's a very common response. So a lot of the things that we even hear, we don't even hear about a lot of the stories that are taking place around our nation. So, yeah, it is really sad and it's very real. Like the way people treat other people and the way people have treated me as an Asian woman, single Asian woman um, in the church even or even in meetings or comments have been um, can, can be kind of sad. So uh, it's not it's not OK. It's not OK. This experience is, uh, it's, yeah, I I mean, I can even relate to her. I've actually done a couple of like just online grocery shopping because I kind of don't want to go to the grocery store for multiple reasons. But part of it is like, am I going to be okay? Um, Last week uh, when the Asian American anti-racism document came out and I shared with some people and I got zero response and very little empathy. And I wondered if it was even okay for me to even share the document with people, if I was being the nuisance versus it being something that is right and just and good. I mean, even going through the journey of this thing online with the crew staff of saying, no, that anti-racist document is good and it is good to share and it's good to talk about. It's not a nuisance. I'm not a nuisance. These things are not a problem or I'm not moving, just moving into fear for some irrational reason. And this is not an irrational document. It's real. Like even in the news last week, women uh, have been assaulted here, even at a grocery store or running on trails just because they're Asian. Not because, I mean, yeah, just because they're Asian <laughs> for no other reason. And then you probably saw in the news, recently how, in Texas, the two-year-old and the four-year-old were stabbed in the parking lot of the grocery store, and even the responses of people saying, oh, that's my hometown. You know, on Facebook, I reposted it, and I mentioned, hey, look at this document. You know, if if it upsets you, I'd appreciate it if you just took some time. And I think the hard part, too, is that even if people are for it, there's been no response toward it very little response or or i'm for this or or whatever not even a thumbs up on facebook <laughs> so it it is telling when people are silent or when people want a distance because they don't have to live in it and it's not a reality for a lot of people and it feels isolating even more so in our time of isolation
0: yeah i'm so, sorry you feel scared that's not okay I don't like it. Um, Me neither. (laughs) I know you said earlier, like, just the feeling. We can all feel stuck with this topic. Like, what what do we do? And um, the only thing that I know to do is what we're doing right now, which is uh, talk about it and um, tell our stories because our stories matter. And the stories like what happened to my friend, it matters that people know that because, like I said, um, well, for most of my life, I didn't hear stories like that, uh, mostly because I was only proximate to white people. And um, yeah, when I first started hearing stories like that, I was like, oh, my gosh, I now I now I believe it you know I'm sad that it took that for me to believe it but it did like that this happens all the time oh thanks for saying that Sam that's
1: really vulnerable for you to say even and to admit on a podcast that this is where you grow up and the things that you learned and how you've grown it's really courageous to even say that so thank you for your vulnerability
0: too well, I just feel like this is the least I can do is um, keep talking about it. And I, and I think that's what I love about this resource is it's, in, it's inviting anyone in wherever they are that it's okay if you don't believe it exists. I, I did too. And um, that is just a reality that some of us live in. Until we start to hear others tell their story, um, and so yeah, that's why I wanted to talk to you briefly about it today. Do you get tired of me asking you about racism? It's not the only thing we talk about.
1: No, it's not the talk. It's not the talking of racism as much as it is like, hey, can you be? Can you be the the? like the one person that I go to about
0: <laughs> can you represent all people? Yes. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. That's it. Also, Sam, if you want me to share stories of growing up with like if people want to hear if you want to share that or if you wanted me to share any of that too, I'm totally willing. Like I grew up in racism. Like like that's a huge imprint in my life. So I mean my sister was beat up all the time mm-hmm. because of race
0: this is in Fairbanks Alaska uh-huh. right yeah Yeah. And your older sister yeah
1: my oldest sister was beat up my other sister was told by her teacher I don't like orientals she yelled at her and said I don't like orientals and I think she was in like maybe the 4th grade or 3rd grade or something when she said that and I didn't even know that I wasn't liked until 6th grade when I asked a boy out and then he was like oh you're great and cool Julie but I could never kiss a Chinese girl and the way he said it I knew I knew I was less than I was seen less than and I was seen as kind of dirty and, and unwanted and undesirable
0: I don't know what to say I'm so sorry yeah Yeah. Thanks. Me neither. When you grow up with that as part of your reality, and then um, I forget when you, did you, were you always going to church? When did you first kind of, I'm trying to remember your testimony. I'm the worst friend right now. (laughs) No,
1: you're not. I don't remember anybody's testimony (laughs) usually. Um. Basically, I grew up in church, knew about Jesus, everything. But I think my life was really changed. Like I desired God, all of the above. But when I found out about Spirit filled life, is when my life really shifted and changed. It was like the key that I was missing for myself. So that was that wasn't until crew when I found out about Spirit filled life. But I was theologically educated, and I was well educated actually through a lot of things, so, for my church.
0: I mean, so what does it but, feel like to have Crew as an organization put this on their website about racism? Like, does it give you any kind of feelings in light of your own experience to see it acknowledged as not the heart of God?
1: Yeah, I think it was really affirming. I mean, when I saw the Instagram post of it, the advertisement, I reposted it, I, I actually... Immediately reposted it because it felt so affirming
0: mm-hmm. I did too
1: it's a human agenda it's a God kingdom agenda
0: that's the main part of it though for us as Christ followers right? I mean it's not the heart of God
1: exactly I think that's why I like the post so much because it talks about what does the Bible say and what is God's heart
0: thank you yeah. So Julie, you're fresh off your second sabbatical? Third. Third sabbatical. I mean, we talked about... Third
1: sabbatical. Okay. Mm-hmm. So
0: this is, last time we talked, we talked about your um, sabbatical where you were in Europe and you walked on the um, Camino, what's it called? The Camino Santiago, del Santiago?
1: Yeah, the last sabbatical. So that was my second sabbatical. Uh, Yeah, the Camino de Santiago and crew hosts a Camino walk, but I didn't do the one that crew does. I did one where I could be more isolated from others. By the way, you guys still need to take a sabbatical.
0: Listen, we had all our sabbatical. I don't know why I said that. We had our, we were figuring out our sabbatical, but I was not sensing anything definite from the Lord. I was like, when should we do it? When should we do it? And then now there's a pandemic. And so now I know that God was like, it's actually not time to think about sabbatical yet. So Darren and I, because we work in basically the digital realm with crew on remote teams in communications and marketing, we now have a ton of work to do. Mm. And so, you know. Instead of being on a spring break road trip right now to Utah, actually, we were going to visit you. <laughs> I'm supposed to be hiking in Zion National Park right well, this it makes minute. You feel
1: it is raining on and off, and it's supposed to snow in a day.
0: I saw so. that. It actually made me feel a little bit better because I was like, okay, the weather's <laughs> not going to be that nice. But we had planned, that I'm totally rabbit trailing here, but we, okay, there's way more important things in the world. But for Sam Holland, we had planned to get out of rainy Oregon we were like we cannot stay home on spring break we've done it two years in a row and it's not fun so we just we're gonna do this road trip we planned the whole thing we you know had all the hotels booked we were gonna camp at the Grand Canyon and then this pandemic happened and we even were still we were like we'll still go unless but as you know as the days went by it became clear that it was not the wise thing and so we're not doing it. But anyway, we that's where I'm supposed to be right now. But there's just a lot going on in the digital realm with a lot of organizations. So we're home working instead of on spring break. But, you know, when the weather gets nicer, we're going to do the road trip. We're going to visit Julie and Steph Finley and some national parks. But sabbatical yeah. was planned sort of for later in the spring and now I know now's not the time for sabbatical we'll figure out when it is but you're you are a sabbatical expert so (laughs) I'd love to hear more about
1: people of crew I love resting
0: (laughs) I'm a sabbatical expert (laughs) that's a compliment
1: yeah no it is it is actually it is it's funny how culturally we think it's a like a oh my gosh sabbatical someone told me um I was having sushi with a friend and she had told me that oh well um in her location on staff sabbatical meant was almost like key for you're about to leave staff and I thought really that's too bad I've taken three or I took by then I had taken two and I was on my way to my to my third so
0: well, maybe that's why in the handbook it says, this is not, sabbatical is not meant as a time to decide whether or not you're staying on staff. Does it really say that? Yes.
1: That's so funny. That is so funny.
0: <laughs> so just so you know, everyone, that's not what it's for. <laughs> it's
1: not what it's for. It's, it's almost like when tragedy happens, it's not the time to make drastic decisions like cutting your hair.
0: Yeah, there's been memes about that. Don't cut your bangs just because you're on your social distancing. You can't see anyone or do anything. Don't cut, yeah, your, bangs. Don't
1: cut your
0: bangs. And yet, I saw a <laughs> colleague. You know who you are if you're listening. Cut her bangs and post it on Instagram, oh. and then like her next post was like, "Oh, I didn't realize like <laughs> quarantine bangs was a thing." I was laughing so hard.
1: <laughs> anyway, well, did they look okay?
0: They yeah, like, they actually looked really cute. Sideways. No, oh, that's good. I don't know if she, I mean, she must've cut them herself. That was actually before the total lockdown. So she might've actually gone and gotten them cut.
1: Yeah. Well, growing up, my mom would cut my bangs and they were always kind of crooked, <laughs> kind of like angled <laughs> or like angling up toward the middle of your forehead. Ooh. You know? Yeah. And then you just have to go to school like that. Ooh, so school old. pictures, man, they have uh, that's why I used to curl my bangs, you know? Man, the curling iron back then, the curling bangs, or like the teasing up high.
0: Oh, yeah. I had mine stri- oh. ratted straight up in my middle mm-hmm. school picture. Ratted mm-hmm. straight up, sprayed, and then the rest of it uh, was Hushina. like a bob. <laughs> yeah.
1: We look back and go, what in the world were we thinking? Yeah, so sabbatical. <laughs> um, yeah, I took the first one. We talked about this on the last episode, but I took the first one. Um, and that's between my time when I lived in, uh, Eugene and I moved to Portland and that was before I moved to Salt Lake city. And that was a time where I actually thought I wanted to leave stuff. I was actually taking life coaching classes and was going to move forward with life coaching. And, um, uh, the Lord, I just had this, um, sense from the Lord when I was actually driving from the Grand Canyon, um, that my ministry was just beginning. I think that's when it took me seven years on staff to actually fully like grasp the gospel for my own heart to really fully. And I think he continues to corkscrew the gospel into my heart more and more as I mature and get older. But I think that's when I had a aha moment for myself. And then the second one, I decided to just go and explore the world since I could. I think, um, you know, I've been going through like a midlife crisis for the last, I don't even know how many years. (laughs) So that one was one of like, well, if I'm single with no children, I am, I'm going to just go, you know, why not? And so this one, I was burnt out because we had our reorg and I was actually like kind of losing my mental and emotional capacity quickly. In fact, I'd have to say two weeks before the sabbatical had ended, I was, in Orlando in meetings with a low grade fever, trying to help navigate the marketing and communication spaces. And, um, I went up to Mark Rudder's office and like had a conversation with him and just lost it in his office, just crying. Um, so man, Mark Rudder, if you're listening, you're the best.
0: He is the best. (laughs) He's the
1: best. Yeah. Um, and then came home and two weeks later, Started the sabbatical, which was, I thought since it's my third one, it would be easy because I knew how to do it. I knew what I would do. But I would say for the first three weeks, it was like the feeling that you feel when you know you have a big day tomorrow, and so you go to bed early, but then you can't fall asleep, and so you keep on looking at your, you know, phone or whatever clock, and then you are like go to sleep you need to rest. You have a big day tomorrow, but then it increases the anxiety and makes you feel like, no, 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 this is going to be okay. Just rest. And so it's like the battle between resting and anxiety of, um, I kept on thinking, gosh, the first day, the first two days of sabbatical, I even thought, gosh, the sabbatical is almost over. <laughs> so that's kind of how quickly they go.
0: Okay. So I, because of, we've been thinking about when to take a sabbatical. I, I did read the handbook and it says that you have to come up with some sort of reason or some sort of theme or something for your sabbatical. Some And that's part of the reason that I wasn't quite ready to take one because I thought, I don't have a big something that I'm trying to solve spiritually or some big answer I'm waiting on from God. I I guess I I thought of it more like it's like a um, scheduled rest, a rhythm of rest that you build in where you unplug and just try to hear from God and practice His presence more. But from the handbook, it seemed like, oh, do I need to come up with something more concrete that I'm trying to hear about? What do you think about that?
1: Well, I think... Um, there are different, I don't, I'm not PNC or HR. So like if you're a part of PNC, you're listening to this or, uh, HR, like you can correct.
0: Check with your PNC person. Yeah.
1: But I I think the first one I took, it was called a directed sabbatical. And so I ended up having a specific kind of direction and coming up with a plan. And, um, so you I wasn't just resting. The second one, it was promoted. I was, it was promoted that we just rest and whatever that would look like would be rest. And so with this one, I don't really know. I I didn't read the handbook before I took it. So I just knew I needed, I needed a break. And so, um, and I knew that I needed, uh, yeah, just needed a rest. And my, my time was like, my time was has arrived for the sabbatical uh, permission time, I guess, after Mm -hmm. a few years after the last one. And so, yeah, I just ended up resting and waiting on the Lord, you know, at that time, which is funny, you're like, you're not supposed to um, think about leaving staff or whatever. I think I was considering all things because we just had the reorg. Mm -hmm. And so I think it was the realm of now what? And what do I need? But I I can't think clearly so much so that I need to just sleep and rest. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess that is kind of a direction. But really it was rest, sleep, take time like you just said. Mm-hmm. And then afterwards, get back on and here and see if the Lord... So, I, I, I know I'm rambling right now, but basically I don't disagree with you. I would say... Sometimes we can't come up with a plan; the Lord comes up with the plan in the middle of the time of rest. What do you think? Totally, because that's what happened. Like when I ended up resting, it was it wasn't until probably the last two weeks when things started to come out, and then I needed to have conversations with God, or yeah, I had to have a lot of pretty serious conversations with the Lord.
0: Can you share any of those conversations? Yeah. I would love to. Um,
1: well, the first thing I did the first week I went out. So I think I've just been kind of going through, I don't know if it's a crisis of faith or, um, was it exhaustion? Was it stress? But I've been having a hard time hearing from the Lord. And that is not something that I generally have a hard time doing a lot in my life. Um, it's something that I, it's, it's always been kind of like a, I mean, it sounds silly, but it, kind of a more natural thing for me. Like I, I would have dreams or I would go on walks and I would have impressions. Um, but it's been a while since I've had something like that. And and part of it is I think I've allowed my anxiety and stress from the last, this last season to kind of take a greater volume in my life um, than the Lord basically is what ended up happening. And I, I have been struggling with so. I just had a lot of questions, a lot of questions about church ministry um, crew, even so, and God specifically, God. So I ended up going um, back in around Thanksgiving. I ended up booking something called the getaway, and I showed that to you. I, I'm really nervous that they're going to go out of business. I tried to go everything with you. Is all over.
0: We tried to I work know. it out. I want to go to one of those. You know.
1: Yes. Well, they're open in Oregon. They, uh, as of now, they're still open. So I don't know. So the getaway is a place where I actually found out through Jess Fogg through her Instagram handle and um, ended up like seeing the photos and going, oh, my gosh, this is gorgeous. What is this? How do I get there? And she shared the link to me and you can get away. And the whole president is getting away from your busy life. And they even have a lockbox for your cell phone. So like you just unplug. And I thought this was perfect for, yeah, I just, I had a plan. I had just for Christmas, uh, I purchased myself a camera with film. I was just going to go somewhere with the getaway and, um, take photos, bring my watercolors, read some books I've been reading, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, I decided to go to Los Angeles because I knew LA was going to be warmer in February than other locations that the getaway had availability. And so I ended up going there and it was in, um, around big bear, like kind of out there running Springs, big bear bear location. And, uh, little did I know that it was a stormy weekend. It was going to be a stormy weekend, but the first day I got, that was gorgeous. So I thought, okay, take some photos and then go on a small, easy hike. This hike was, supposed to only be one and a half miles. And and to me, I mean, this is my, what is the word judgment, judgmentalism or whatever. But I thought a hike in California should be no problem. That's like a stroll in a park. You're from Utah, California. I I live in Utah and I'm from Alaska. You walk out of my front door in Alaska and you're on a hike. You know, in college I worked for the railroad. I would go to Denali Park all the time. And because it would stop at Denali and I would just take the train down to Denali and then go through Denali and hike on my own up mountains. And back then I I wasn't afraid of bears or anything. I didn't take a bell or anything like that stuff. I wasn't raised with.
0: Wow. No
1: fear. So um, that was probably before my frontal lobe was fully developed, (laughs) but Nobody taught me to take a bell. You know, it was until I went to Law Forty Eight when I started to hear about all of the bear attacks, etc. Freaked me out. So, <laughs> anyways, but ignorance is bliss. And sometimes I wonder when you're ignorant, maybe you're safer.
0: Oh, <laughs> those bear attack anecdotes. Whatever. <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> whatever.
0: So, anyways,
1: I go on the stroll, and no disrespect to Southern Californians. Or Californians in general <laughs> but I it, it was the I went to this place I was like trying to go on a walk to Aztec Falls okay it's, it's supposed to be like this waterfall in the middle of um, like outside of Big Bear and it was it was just like this really easy walk you could take your children all trails said you could even take your kids And, and so I, there was no, not even a good sign that said Aztec Falls or this way toward Aztec Falls. So I was like, I had to ask around and I started following this family. And uh, the dad of this family said, well, you can take a right over this bridge, but that's, and that's the long way, or you can go straight. And this is the short way, but the steep way. And I said, oh, I guess I'll just follow you guys Um, Are you guys going which way? And then he looks at me and he says, well, you know, you shouldn't be hiking alone. And I said, yeah, I'm from Alaska and I live in Utah. I hike alone all the time. Like I've gone through Moab by myself. I've gone through a lot of places by myself. I think I'll be okay. Plus this is supposed to be an easy hike. And in my head I'm thinking, you're saying this to me but you're in a sense hiking alone with your young daughters who are basically a liability.
0: So it was just <laughs> yeah. him and his daughters? I have a question, just him though. And his daughters. Okay. Let's yeah. just, I, I do need to ask you a question. This is not because you're a woman. Is it sort of a thing that you shouldn't, just a human being shouldn't hike alone?
1: I don't know. I was not raised like that. And I told my friend who grew up in Idaho and went to college in Montana, and she thought, what? I, the rule for me, the rule that I grew up with is, If you go hiking anywhere, you let someone know where you're at.
0: Okay. Tell someone.
1: You let people know where you're going, which was stupidly, I didn't.
0: Well, you were alone. You were in a, you didn't, you locked your phone up. I know.
1: I know. I actually wrote the CEO and let him know like, Hey, by the way, (laughs) (laughs) he emailed me first. So I let him know my experience. Yeah. I don't know, like, I was not taught, I, I don't know how many people have been taught don't ever hike alone, but I was not taught that. I was taught, I mean, it's ideal to hike with others, but don't hike, don't go somewhere without telling another person where you're going.
0: Okay, This I needed so, an Alaskan perspective because I, I was raised not hiking much and always with my family, so it never occurred to me to just go on a hike by myself. Anyway.
1: Yeah. And if you're a single person, what do you do? Like, wait until somebody says, yeah, all hike with you. So I can't enjoy the wilderness unless somebody goes with me. I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't agree with that. I think it is wise to hike with others, but.
0: You do you, you know, boo.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It hasn't done me wrong yet.
0: <laughs> but we're just getting to the good part of the story.
1: So we go. Yeah. So I go on this hike and I take this steep trail. I'm heading down. It's fine. And, um, and he's talking about, uh, this dad is talking about this Mexican restaurant in, in the, in over this cliff. And I was like, Ooh, I think after this hike, I'm going to go to the Mexican restaurant and get some food there. And, um, and then I told the guy after I sat there on a rock for a little bit, okay, by the way, the falls was not a fall. It was basically a river with a couple of rocks in it, where it the water went over the small like rock. It was probably maybe a foot deep, like a, a foot of a dip down. I told Vivian Mabuni afterwards, and she's like, "Julie, you're in Southern California after a major drought. What do you expect from a waterfall?" <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah, that's true." She goes, "If you're gonna hike, you should hike where you're from for a waterfall. Yeah, Don't hike in Southern or Southern California Oregon. To find a
0: waterfall." You can come to Multnomah Falls. Oh, yeah, or Oregon. Yes.
1: You'll have to hike with me because that that might be something I... (laughs) Just kidding. Anyways. So, yeah. So, I go and I tell the guy, hey, I think I'm going to go. I'm going to take the long way back. Because, to me, steep versus long. Long just seems like it'll be longer but not harder or more dangerous or anything. And he's like, yeah, I think we'll be right behind you later. So, I go... And there's a lot of rocks. And I find myself, like, I'm bouldering these rocks. Like, I'm thankful that I took lifelines, you know? Because <laughs> so it's like sitting there, like, remembering, like, tuck your butt in, put your chest, you know, tuck your hips toward the rock and, like, you know.
0: You learn that in lifelines? I know what the, you
1: learn how to climb in lifelines, Ooh. oh, yeah. Yeah. P-
0: lifelines plus. So
1: I, yes, lifelines, like, is probably one of the more under or most
0: underrated ministry and crew. I mean, highly practical survival skills. Wow. So many things.
1: Survival for your mental, emotional, relational
0: and physical. Okay, we're going to have to do a whole I need to get someone from Lifelines on the show. All right. So, yeah.
1: So, anyways, I um I decide probably I hit this like dead end and it's either cross this river or, um, go up a steep cliff or turn around. And so I decide I'm just going to turn around and go back the way I came. So I'm turning around, going back the way I came. i run into the family and I say, Hey, I, I think it's a dead end down there. If you find the the way or the path of the trail, great. But I'm just going to go back the way I came. So I ended up going back the way I came. I crossed the river too early. And then I found myself, um, on the side of a cliff
0: <laughs> going it, it back. Oh, you went yeah, a different way. It just, there's no Ebenezer. I
1: crossed too early. Yeah. And then I ended up fine. It like, it was just the only way out was, uh, through this steep, the steep hill cliff, whatever you want to call it. And I just sat there like, Oh, I'm sure. Surely I'm like, right. Like if you just turn a corner, I'll be where I crossed the river earlier. Like it shouldn't be that hard only to find myself going higher and higher and higher (laughs) and like trying to cross, like trying to figure out where to go. And then I couldn't go back because it was already so steep. It was easier going up than it was to go down. And I found myself just hanging on and praying that the dead roots of these trees that I'm holding on to are not going to, you know, just come out of the mountain or whatever that's called, you know, the cliff. It was an eroding, um, hill cliff mountain whatever in my mind I felt like I was on a cliff because it was so scary and um and I just sat there thinking to myself oh is this it this is it I'm gonna be lost nobody knows where I am my cell phone is dead like I took it with me but it's it's not getting service um and this was so dumb and this is my my life is so anticlimactical this is so anticlimactical and it's going to be in Southern California of all places like the newspapers are going to say like you know middle-aged woman lost
0: middle-aged in Southern California on a
1: hike right or middle-aged okay yeah it's pretty silly
0: were you really thinking about <laughs> the headline
1: yeah I did think about the headline wow I was like oh awesome this is this is so embarrassing this is how I'm going to go <laughs> So then I was just like, no, Julie, no, you have got to get out of here. At least you have to try to get out of here so you can go back or you can go down into the water, into the river and figure out a way back to that little fall area or um, you you have options. Let's just figure this out. So I was like, I just have to keep on going. So I just started like yelling at myself and I was just like, you can do this. You just need to take four steps forward and I'm like yelling at the rocks that are like on the side of the hill like you do not go do not break loose on me do not you hold still and um there were ants on the trees and I was out there like you can handle these ants biting you you have a cat who has been treating you this whole time by attacking your arms this whole fall you can do it so I'm like yelling at myself and then I found myself yelling at God And, uh, I was just like shouting at him and I was just, I was like, I found myself saying like, I'm so afraid right now. You better know where I am. You better be here right now. And, um, and then I started finding myself shouting Psalm 23, um, and like being like, you are my shepherd and I have all that I need right now and you're going to lead me. You're gonna leave me right now, <laughs> and so I was just like, I'm gonna believe you for this, and then I just started to think about like, um, you know, like in the midst of this liminality of transition, I'm so afraid to move forward and make a decision on my next step because I'm afraid it's just gonna be hard, and uh, I'm gonna hit really uh, rocky terrain that feels unsafe, and then I I keep on thinking I wish. Things didn't have to change the way they did. Um, And and then I just think, but either way, I have to go to the uncertain hard terrain in order to move forward. Because either way, it's either I'm stuck here in the liminality or I find that stupid trail. And so I just sat there like, you are guiding me. And even though I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not going to fear any evil. I am not going to fear this. And so I just like... Kept on going step by step. And I was just like, you can take four more steps, Julie. You can do like six more. Go. You see that trunk over there, that tree. You're gonna get yourself over to that trunk. And so it took like actually a couple hours more um, to get to find where I needed to go. It took way longer than I was expecting. It was um way more uncertain. And I just kept on thinking, the only thing that's holding me here is the Lord. And I don't remember, I think, actually, I think it's a Mark Gothier talk, um, where it was about a river. I think he was in a river, and it was almost like the, I don't know what the story was, but it, it always uh, sat with me of, like, you can let go of the branch because the branch isn't going to let go of you or or something like that. I was just thinking, like, mm-hmm. I can let go, even with the Lord, even in the time of uncertainty and a time that feels, like, silent or dark, a lot of people are saying that they're leaving their faith. I I just felt like, I just started to realize like, no, but God is holding on to me right now. And he knows exactly where I am. He's okay with it. And we're just going to take these steps in this rocky terrain, this eroding terrain, and I'm going to get to where I need to go because he's going to get me there. So I finally got there. I finally found like a totally different part of the hike. I actually found a path, the trail that we were supposed to all find originally. And these people were coming down the mountain with, uh, uh, there was a rope there. So I went up on the rope and me being the extrovert, stopped the first lady I could find to tell her like, I almost died. I think I almost died. And uh, this woman with zero empathy and her sunglasses on, like straight at me and said, "Well." You know what the first rule of hiking is? Never hike alone. (laughs) Okay, well, thanks. Um, Not, hey, oh, are you okay? Oh, I'm sorry. That must have been scary. Do you need water? How are you doing now? (laughs) Nothing, Nothing like that. She kind of just reprimanded and corrected me, and I just went on my way alone thinking, yeah, but you don't understand my background. You don't understand where I came from. And that's that's too bad that that happened at the end of that hike. Um, but sometimes that's that's what happens at the end, end of our paths, so when we get to the next path, is we're not going to get this, are you okay? You're just going to keep on going and stay firm in the Lord and just keep on going, just keep on walking. <laughs> so... Anyway, I don't know if that made sense or not, but that's kind of what happened on that part of the trail.
0: Well, it reminds me of that, Julie, that conversation that you and I had. And I don't know where this was. I think it was after this hike that I texted you and I said, hey, have you listened to Rhett and Link's podcasts? Because Rhett and Link had put out these podcasts about deconstructing their faith. And there was this one part in Rhett's where he said, you know, he was deconstructing, deconstructing years and years. And then one day he said, I might not get this exactly right, but he said something like, one day I realized I didn't believe, or I didn't have faith anymore. I didn't believe anymore what I used to or the way I used to, you know, he didn't say exactly, but I was like, wait a minute. I thought that God Holds on to us. So is he, and I remember I texted you, I was like, is God not holding on to Rhett and Link anymore? Did he let go? And you like yelled at me back over text. You were like, no, God does not let go of us, Sam. So I love that that was your takeaway in that story. Was like, God doesn't let go. It's about God hanging on to us even when our even if we're disoriented if we're rethinking everything doesn't God keep hanging on and you were like yes he does so what do you remember was that right after your hike or
1: yeah I didn't even know. I mean, I don't pay attention to Retin and Link. And so the first time I ever heard it was from you through that text, like, hey, did you see the news? Have you seen this? And I thought, what? And I, I wasn't on workplace because I was on sabbatical. And I just sat there like, no. I think so often we're so afraid. We're so afraid to ask questions or to think differently or to allow our, like you had mentioned our Christian worldview to change a little, like to, yeah. to be willing to be open handed with that, because I don't, I just don't, I just have a hard time believing that God is going to direct us differently if we're still like, I, I just keep on like going, Jesus is clutch. In my mind, Jesus is
0: clutch, you know? And What uh, is, like, I it does say what, maybe, what do you mean by that?
1: Meaning, like so many people are 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 afraid. Of, like I, I I hear conversations of people saying things like, "Well, I don't know that's you know that person." They believe that, and I'm not sure if that's Christian. Like, no, 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 no. They're all, there's a lot of gray area here, especially with people on staff who've taken IBS. You got opinion, you got persuasion, and you got conviction. I live in Salt Lake City, Utah. Conviction: Who is Jesus? <laughs> Jesus is not the same Jesus as. A Latter Day Saint, right? That's clutch. That is clutch. And if we're holding on to who Jesus is, and who is holding on to our salvation, then there's a lot more freedom than we give God credit for. And so I think very often we are we're sitting in a lot of fear with Him and with our beliefs. And there's a lot of fear if someone starts exploring their faith that God wouldn't bring them back uh, into understanding who he is, like even with where where we are with the coronavirus stuff going on and um, the world being so uncertain, when things are going well, you don't have to hold on to God. You don't have to face them. But then when things are not going well and things are so uncertain, you have to turn somewhere outside of yourself because you know that you're limited. We're limited beings.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So that's what I wonder. I don't think God lets us go. I think life is so long also that he gives us so many opportunities to turn to him. He loves us too much to let go.
0: Yeah, it's weirdly freeing to realize that. It reminds me of Carolyn Colbertson saying like, she was talking about transitions and calling, but she was saying, and you're in this place now, I think, Julie, where, and all of us are in this place now actually because we're (laughs) in a pandemic, but you have Mm -hmm. to, if you're an acrobat, you have to let go of, like, if you're swinging through the air on that trapeze, Mm -hmm. is that what they call it? You have to let go Mm -hmm. in order to, for that person to catch you. So you can do, go to the next swing. And she was talking about how hard it is for us just to let go. But like, God is always going to catch us. But there is that Mm -hmm. moment where you have to let go. And there's that, moment in the air where it feels very uncertain and very scary and disorienting and like because we think so much of it is about us holding on well i have to hold on but he it's actually about god catching us
1: yeah and swinging in the air it's that whole concept of we there are all there's always there's always saturday like um uh, like Easter, we're in the Lent season with Easter. You know, you have Friday, but then you have Saturday, and then you have Sunday, which is you know the celebration of the the resurrection. But you're always going to have to have a Saturday.
0: It's weird that this is happening during Lent.
1: Oh yeah, like forced forced fasting. Mm-hmm. Except for toilet paper. You don't. You're not, you're not fasting from toilet paper, no, apparently. I mean. <laughs> the world.
0: Yeah. yeah. Okay, so go back to when you were client when you were hiking and you there was an exposed tree root. I had all I know you and I both have connectedness on Strengths Finder, but I started mm-hmm. thinking about Mary Oliver poems and the Bible Project mm. has been doing a series about trees and the Bible and how we are connected to trees. I've also been going through a Lenten devotion that Wendy Chen had posted on Workplace that is very much about how we... It's just an Indigenous person's worldview and how Mm -hmm. a Christian Indigenous person who's um, just like from their point of view, like how less hierarchical they think of the... Like humanity in creation. They think of it more like how Mm -hmm. everything is more holistic and working together. And so... That's what I gave up for Lent was my worldview. I think I told you that because I wanted to just look through someone else's eyes Mm -hmm. who had a totally different tradition for me and a totally different relationship with creation than I do. And so trees have been a big part of that for me. And I know you've been reading some Mary Oliver and all these things. Do you have any thoughts?
1: Mm Yeah, yeah. Actually, it, it's funny cause you, uh, the first time, let's see, it all started happening all at once. And I thought, is this me being, um, I don't, I don't know what I'm trying to say right now, like uncreative or forcing something. Am I forcing the Lord to speak into something or whatever? But I was like, you know what, I'm just going to take it as, cause we are interconnected. So the first time I heard about the tree stuff was actually, um, through my house church, um, we were going through the story of Zacchaeus, and he climbed up a sycamore tree and to see Christ. And somebody asked the question, do you think that there's any revel, uh, relevance to the comment of the tree being a sycamore tree? And, um, and then someone brought up the Bible project and the tree episodes that are happening right now. People culturally in Ketchikan have a relationship to trees that I've never known. I mean, the, the the tribes up there, they're the the Tongass tribe, like they're 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 specifically tree people, and um, the culture there is so different. I mean, I went into the an art studio, and the whole art studio was about all these different trees, and there was paintings of trees and. The person I was visiting was my sister's mother in law, and she's looking at the painting. She and she would say, and she didn't know that I'm listening to this podcast or thinking about these things. She'd say, Oh, I know that tree. Oh, I know that tree. And this is a place where there's
0: like millions and millions of trees.
1: Wait, the actual tree? Not just
0: like a type of tree. Oh my
1: gosh. No, the actual tree. Wow. Like they know that tree. They know where that tree is located. They know. the history of that tree and when we went on a hike she started to share all of the botany things I don't know what this is called but of the different trees and how one tree sprouts like this tree is actually going to sprout all these other trees and she just started talking about it on our walk um on our hike, actually this, this hike, this, this was actually a walk. It wasn't like a hike that I took in California. This was actually a walk around a lake, but it was, um, it was fascinating to see how it just kept on coming up and the concept of the tree of life and where are we actually getting life? So I thought it was fun that she, she kept on saying, Oh, I know that tree. And it wasn't even a photo of a tree. It was a painting with like purples and greens and reds and yellows as a stump and she knew who that tree was
0: so it's pretty cool yeah on my birthday I posted a picture of myself standing in front of this tree in Mexico that is ancient and this tree is right on the a cliff right on the ocean and I've noticed the theme of trees in the Bible. I mean I'm a lit major. this is what I'm trained to do. What are the themes and the imagery and things that come up over and over again when you're reading something? And I have seen trees in the Bible, obviously for decades. And so as I and I love um, Psalm 1 where it talks about a Christ follower will be like a tree planted by, mm-hmm streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither Mm -hmm. and that is what I posted on Instagram because I think I think I just said I want to be like this tree I want to be planted by streams of living water I want to God to produce fruit in my life at the right season because that's his job and Mm -hmm. um I want to be just a strong, safe place, providing shade for people around me. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I I think at the end of the day, what I've been asking God for for years, my constant prayer has been, God, I just want more of you. I want to know you more. And the way that he's been teaching me about himself is by it makes me want to cry. So I'm trying not to, um, just because it's hard to understand me. It's okay to cry, but when I cry, I can't talk. Um, (laughs) he has brought people into my life like you who are so different from me, different in every way from where you're from, your ethnicity, your, um, family status, you know, whether you're single or married or Um, and just being different in temperament, like every every way that we're different as humans, but that's how God has been showing me himself was you need to look at me through other people's eyes, people who are very different from you, Mm -hmm. who have a totally different um, worldview. And I think, I think I've always wanted to see more significance in just creation and our connection to it but I didn't know how. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. Is there anything that you're experiencing during this time of openness that the Lord is pressing into you in the midst of creation and connectedness and maybe even the trees right now? Or
0: I mean, I'm sure there is. I don't know if it's anything definitive enough that I could articulate it, but I do think well, I've been so glad to be more connected to the significance of nature during the pandemic mm-hmm. because you can always go outside. And I've been doing that a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, just going in my backyard, I mean, I live in this forest. So going in my backyard, looking at the trees, it's amazingly grounding and calming. know that's super obvious. We've all, we've all thought about that. We all know about getting out into nature, but I guess it has a new significance because I think about God designing the world that way and how he's just waiting to tell me about himself through my backyard, whatever. That sounds really simplistic, but the, what it has to do, how it's connected to the pandemic. Um, my teenager, the other day, he reads a lot of news. He's just a, a reader, a taker in of a taker inner of information. He has input like his mm-hmm. parents do, and he came to me. He said, "Mom, did you know?" And I don't know if this is this might be fake news, but he came to me and he said, "Mom, did you know that?" Um, there's places in China where they saw blue sky for the first time because... Oh, yeah, I saw that too. Yeah, I don't, I've seen that headline and I'm always like, is that true? I mean, none of us wants people to die in order for that to happen, but that is what God does is he brings life out of death. And um, Wes said, yeah, and I also read that you, you can see down into the Venice canals you can see down to the bottom of the water and there's swans in them so these two places that have just been ravaged by this virus um god has is bringing life out of it part of the way in the just in creation is like you can see the blue sky and you can see the blue water
1: it reminds me of um have you seen the movie the biggest little farm
0: or is that what it's called it's a documentary no i'm aware of it i haven't watched it yet though um,
1: is it okay if I do a little bit of a spoiler alert <laughs> in it? Basically the premise is like this, these people in California who move onto a farm. And, um, I think the beautiful part of it that I, I found is that if you get the right rhythms in place, everything gets set and the ecosystem starts to run itself naturally. And that's what this hippie guy who told them about the farm and what they needed to plant and how it needed to happen, how it all took place and how it all went down. And the, the people who were doing all these things was like, is this, is this guy crazy? And how, what do we do now? We don't know what we're doing. And there was like a, there were these coyotes. He came and started eating the chickens were attacking the chickens. And so they killed the coyote only to realize that when you kill a coyote, the coyotes are actually helpful were part of the rhythm of the farm um, because the coyotes took care of, I don't remember what it was. I don't know if it was a rodent or something that was taking over. Like it started to infest in the farm. And so um, they let the coyotes kind of come back and owls came in and um, just different animals started to come. Bees, all kinds of animals started to come and even animals I found as pests came and they were actually, their, the purpose was set. Like it started to come into fruition and the rhythm of the farm started to kind of run itself. So it was like, I think they said like the first seven to eight years, it was just really hard work and it was confusing. They didn't know what to do next. And they had a hard time trusting the hippie that told them how to build this farm. And then toward the end, things started. the The, the hippie actually passed away um, in the middle of the movie, and so they had to they had to figure it out themselves. And as the rhythm started to get set, they started to see and figure out how to solve those problems and how it ran itself.
0: So, Julie, I last night from my bedroom, I heard what I thought was an owl outside. And I had—I would think I would hear owls more where I live. I live in a forest, but I don't. And I'd never heard this particular owl before. And I ran outside. It was totally dark. And Locke, who's nine, Mom, what are you doing? I said, I think I hear an owl come outside with me. He came out. We stood on the porch, pitch black. I said, you have to be really quiet because... If they hear you, they'll stop. Can't turn any lights on. Have to be quiet. So we went out. So sure enough, the owl stopped for a minute, even though we were very quiet. We stood there. And then the owl resumed. I've never heard this owl before. Mm. And I just, now that you're saying what, you know, this experience on this farm, I just thought, maybe he's, maybe it's quiet enough now. He's come back, this owl. I mean, who knows how where he came from or how long it's been, but isn't that beautiful?
1: Mhm. Like he's not. What is the word? I'm having a hard time of course, But
0: afraid. <laughs> just. Julie's just, motioning with her whatever. hands right now. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I can't find, I'm really good at charades. But yeah, like he's not being deterred by the, the noise and the, the lights.
0: I think our just our takeaway from this, your sabbatical, your hike, our being in the midst of this pandemic where it's so easy to succumb to fear, is that God is hanging on to us. And God always brings life out of death. Would you add anything to that? Yeah,
1: I, I keep on thinking about not only trees and the water, but light. Like how it all all works together. You know, for a tree to thrive, we also need the light. And um, I don't know, it, it, maybe I'm stretching this a little bit. But um, another passage that I've been like sitting in for a while from my, it's actually came from my first sabbatical. Um, Paula Gamble hosts this like I don't know what it's called like a spiritual retreat away. And um, when I went out with her that one day when I was I had my first sabbatical and I was so full of fear, etc. She actually had a specific word for me, and I've always taken it with me. And it's basically the Matthew chapter six, but it's in the Message version. The Do not worry, Uh, like don't hurt treasures here were moths and uh, rust, eat away, you know. But there's this one um, part of the passage. It's Matthew 22, or six, verse 22. Your eyes are a window into your body. If you open your eyes wide in wonder and belief, your body fills up with light. If you live squinty-eyed in greed and distrust, your body is a dank cellar. If you pull the blinds on your windows, what a dark life you will have. And I, I just keep on wondering about how, how, how my eyes are doing. I guess like, am I, am I opening them up into the, like it's a window to my body, it's a window to my soul, it's a window to all these different things, and am I sitting in my house in distrust? with my curtains drawn in fear or am I, and I'm not saying everybody don't socially distance anymore, but am I getting out? Am I looking? Am I seeing? Am I taking in the light that he is trying to reveal to us? I remember, uh, just the, the, just the whole concept of I have nothing. I don't know what to expect. I have nothing to expect except God. And to be in that place and i think you and i had this conversation earlier it's like we're not in this place on our own kind of like the trees like we think it's one tree in its place on its own but because we're so interconnected we are in this place together from the same root oh globally